been trying? Yes. Excellent. Hello, and welcome to Modus Scotus, the podcast where two now graduates from law school discuss the Supreme Court and everything that's happening, although it's not much right now because they're on summer break. That's right. Wait, is it? can we call ourselves graduates? Did you get your grades back? I do have all my grades. I technically am a graduate. It even okay. says on my um, transcripts that I received the JD. Oh, so this is a podcast with one law school graduate and one person in limbo. <laughs> you still have what, like next I, week they have to come out? Yeah, I think they have to come back. I, I think so. I think so. I think it's the 12th or something. Either way, mm-hmm. my name is Venetia Hurtabees. JD. JD. And my name is just Bill Kehoe. <laughs> For now. Nothing. <laughs> All right. So in today's episode, we're going to be discussing a recent holding that came out of the Supreme Court, Van Buren versus the United States. And we're also going to talk about a quick order that came out as well. It was a um, v- vacation. <laughs> Yeah, they granted. Yeah, they granted the writ. They vacated the judgment. Right, a vacated judgment, and uh, there was a brief concurrence that I just thought was interesting. So we were going to talk about that. And there's not much else going on because the other holdings that came out weren't very exciting. So correct. But first, some news. Yeah, let's start with some news. So, have you heard uh, anything about the new social media law down in Florida? No. Yes. So Senate Bill 7072 Mm -hmm. was signed. May 24th. Of course, there was a lawsuit filed against it on... Immediately. Oh, immediately. On the 27th of May. But here, I'm going to read out what the law does, Mm -hmm. and you tell me where you think the issues are. Okay. Okay. All right. First big point. All Floridians treated unfairly by big tech platforms will have the right to sue companies that violate the law and win monetary damages. The reform safeguards the rights of every Floridian by requiring social media companies to be transparent about their content moderation practices and give users proper notice of changes to these policies, which prevents big tech bureaucrats from moving the goalposts to silence viewpoints they don't like. That's just summary point number one. Mm-hmm. Summary point number two. The Attorney General uh, of Florida can bring an action against technology companies that violate the law under Florida's Unfair and Deceptive Trade Practices Act. So they can, you know, they're subject to Florida antitrust. Uh, If social media platforms are found to have violated antitrust law, they will be restricted from contracting with any public entity. That antitrust violator, Blacklist, imposes real consequences for big tech oligopolies, bottom line. Point number three. Big Tech is prohibited from deplatforming Floridian political candidates. Mm-hmm. The Florida Election Commission will impose fines of $250,000 per day on any social media company that deplatforms any candidate for statewide office and twenty-five dollars per day for deplatforming candidates for non-statewide offices. Any, Florid- any Floridian can block any candidate they don't want to hear from personally, and that is the, that is the right that belongs to each citizen. It is not for big tech companies to decide. Now, where are the issues? Well, I will admit wholeheartedly, I completely tuned out for the first point, just because as soon as you started talking, all I could think was, is it just a coincidence that it's in Florida? Or was this perhaps um, proposed by an angry Floridian. Uh, an angry resident of an angry Florida resident who per- perhaps may have been deplatformed. Who maybe just recently lost a, a la- rather large election. Uh, it was stole. I'm just, I'm, just, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, no. So that was one of the common criticisms mm-hmm. uh, was that it was a bill for Trump. Right? <laughs> like it could be called Trump's bill. Trump's bill. It's like, we are mad. You did Donnie wrong yep. is basically the name of the bill. Um, but, I mean, the, the in its entirety, it seems like a, associ- a freedom of association issue. Correct. Where tech companies are allowed to mm-hmm. associate with people that they want to because they're private companies. And by yeah. telling them that you have to associate with these people or you're going to be fined, that's mm-hmm. going to be an issue. Yes. Um, so now, did this pass any of the houses? Or oh, yeah, it was passed. It's totally passed. Totally passed, signed. Oh, right. Into law. <laughs> okay. It's supposed to be effective July 1. We'll see how that goes. So, yeah, they've already filed for an injunction. I was to say, so July 2 is when the trial starts. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, it's the it's the third point that's the biggest one, right? Yeah. Antitrust, I mean, I'm sure they have issues with it. I didn't read the full um, pleading, mm-hmm. but uh, antitrust, yeah, sure, okay. Um, and then 
suing the the suing for monetary damages. Uh, that one is a little because uh, they have the right to exclude. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Exa- I haven't read the full text of the bill on that one, but I that was there's probably an issue with that. And then political candidates is, candidates is the big one, right? Right? Is that's like the I mean, it's the freedom of association and the uh, the argument. One another argument is that this is preempted by Section two thirty because Section two thirty mm-hmm. basically says uh, social media. Well, not not specifically, but it, it allows social media companies to dissociate and self uh, moderate speech mm-hmm. that they find distasteful, otherwise objectionable, being the catch all, and that's totally within um, this state statute is mm-hmm. within would be within that federal law so it's definitely a uh i'm running for president in 2024 kind of bill and i want my facebook page back and i want my facebook page back (laughs) when but it's it was yeah it was just funny because it 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 intersected so well with uh, my paper that i wrote i know you're gonna need to add an appendix with the extra information regarding all the happenings in this bill i know it'll be like 120 page uh, page paper oh my you gonna edit for me? No, I won't even read through most of it anymore. I'll just read through the new stuff. Well, I'm gonna write a law that says. Oh my god! I'm just gonna fine you for not. Venetia must read through all of my words. Yes, otherwise she'll be fined two hundred fifty thousand dollars a day. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That'd be super recoverable. <laughs> all right, that's all the right. news. That is the news. But you have a case for us. I do. <laughs> Van Buren versus the United States. This came out last week, uh, beginning of June, was one of the very first cases that came out for uh, the month of June, which is exciting. So let's run through the facts quickly. Nathan Van Buren was a sergeant with coming Georgia Police Department, and he had become somehow associated friends with this guy named Albo. I think he has a last name, but I don't know what it is. Oh, wait, no, Albo is his last name. He has a first name. I don't know what that is. Andrew Albo. Uh, so Albo has some interesting tendencies. He likes uh, prostitutes. Um but, you know, whatever. We all have our vices, I suppose. Either way, Van Buren, all of a sudden, he's in money troubles. And he thinks, oh, my good friend Albo, maybe he'll give me a loan. Uh, we just want to get you a loan. Mm-hmm. It's a commercial. So Van Buren goes to Albo, says, hey, uh, my son, I think, has medical bills that he needs help paying. Uh, can you lend me some money? And Albo, unbeknownst to Van Buren, is recording this conversation and then takes it to the police department to be like, hey, look, one of your officers is shaking me down for a bribe. And, you know, then the FBI gets involved and the Georgia Bureau of Investigation is also involved. So then they start uh, monitoring Van Buren a little bit closer to see what would he do for this money. You know, it seems like he's got weird associations. Let's see where this goes. So they tell albo to approach van buren and say all right i will give you five thousand dollars if you go into the license plate database and look into this prostitute that i've been seeing because i'm afraid that she might be an undercover cop so van buren does that brings the information to albo and then caught because you know the fbi has been watching him and the gbi has been watching him as well so then this case arises he gets in a lot of trouble he gets fired um and then this suit made it all the way up to the 11th Circuit. And then now we're up at the Supreme Court. So, mm-hmm. Bill, what's the question at hand? So, uh, it's important to know what he was charged with. He was charged with violating the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. So, there's a specific section of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act that uh, he was charged under, Section uh, 1030. Mm-hmm. So, that's basically the question. Uh, does the offense of looking up those li- that license plate information fall under the... Uh, Section 1030 of the Computer Fraud and Abuse Act. So this is a statutory interpretation issue. Now, the law says, uh, whoever intentionally accesses a computer without authorization or exceeds authorized access and thereby obtains information from any protected computer. Mm-hmm. That's that's what he's essentially being charged under. Right. This is 1030A2. A2, yes. 1030A2. Uh Exceeds authorized access has a special meaning under the statute. And so the term exceeds authorized access means to access a computer with authorization and to use such access to obtain or alter information in the computer that the 
accessor is not entitled so to obtain or alter. Now, if you read through that for the very first time, you know, the full statute and then the definition of um, exceeds authorized access, what's the one word that would pop out to you as being the most important word in that entire thing? Computer. Definitely not so. Not so. Oh, my God. But this whole case hinges on the word so. Yes. So just to to read back again. Yep. Information in the computer that the accessor is not entitled so to obtain or alter. It's that so that completely changes the way we read that statute. Which just always makes me think, when these people are drafting up these statutes... Sometimes I understand that the yes, they have, it's being seen by a lot of sets of eyes and a lot of professionals that this is all they do for a living is draft statutes. And mm-hmm. so they are putting a lot of emphasis on each and every single word. But when it comes to like, so, it just seems that they probably were not thinking about it in this way. And I mean, especially when did this statute come out? This was like 1985 or something. Mm-hmm. I just can't imagine that so was such an important word to them when they were drafting this it almost seems like an extra word that they just threw in because it sounds pretty yeah there's no way they were considering well a supreme court case one day will completely hinge on so so. that's usually what i say when i don't know what to say so exactly we say so so many times so so many times it's yeah it's a it's a bad public speaking filler word and it's funny because i listened i don't know if you did but i went back and i listened to the oral argument in this case oh i know i didn't uh, you know, the big discussion is around so, and then every time the justice would use the word so, all I could think was, I wonder if they're reflecting on the fact that they just used the word so and it mm-hmm. wasn't really meaningful. <laughs> mm-hmm. Either way. All right. There is the statute that's at hand. And as Bill mentioned, this is a statutory interpretation. So Van Buren is arguing that this statute is specific for certain types of activity having to do with um, retrieving information from a computer, not what he did. So essentially, Van Buren's argument is that as long as he had authorization to use the computer and to use the computer for um, looking up license plates, then it doesn't apply to him. And as an officer whose job it was to collect this information, he did have authorization to use that computer Mm -hmm. and to use it in that manner. So to him, he's saying, look, this doesn't apply to me. The statute specifically says that people who don't have authorization to use a computer or who exceed that authorization by going into files that they don't have access to, that's when they are going to be charged with this statute. Yeah. And And it's important to know when this statute came about. This Mm -hmm. is the dawn of the computer age. Mm -hmm. Legislatures were concerned about hacking. They were concerned with hackers accessing information that they were totally not supposed to access. They were concerned about you, right? You, Venetia, let's say you're a hacker. I'm definitely not. I can but, barely turn on my computer. <laughs> I know. That's why this is so funny. But you're a hacker now, and you're accessing all this license plate data, mm-hmm. right? They're, the argument is there. they weren't necessarily thinking of the guy that's already got access to this. Mm-hmm. Yes, is it improper to, for him to be accessing, accessing this information in this way? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But... He's got access, he's authorized to access this database. Right. And that's he's got his a password argument. and a username and he's doing the things on the programs he does every day. Right. Right. And then the government on the other side is saying, you know, exactly what you just mentioned, which is, yeah, but he exceeded that authorization because what he was doing with that information was outside of his authorized use of it. So if he had been searching through the license plate database because of his job and, you know, in furtherance of doing his duties as an officer, that's fine. But as soon as he starts doing it for any other reason that he's not supposed to be doing it for, that's exceeding authorization. So that's how they're reading it. They're reading it as authorization means within the scope of your work. And Van Buren is reading it, I guess, more literally that, look, I have authorization. It's my computer. I have access to that program. It's part of my job. Mm-hmm. So that's where the the two sides are sitting. And listening to the oral argument, I, I mean, I was a little bit biased because I did see the holding and where the court landed. But listening to the argument, this is one of the ones where it's pretty clear which side people are going to land on. Oh, really? Yeah, it was pretty obvious. They threw a lot of softball questions uh, to Van Buren. Mm -hmm. And so 
I, I don't know. It was. It would have been an interesting to listen to when it came out to see if we would get it right. When was it argued? I uh, don't know. Okay. <laughs> but we, anyway. We missed it. So do you want to talk about the holding now? Yeah. So it's a 6-3 decision. The In the majority, well, writing for the majority is Justice Barrett. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got Breyer, Kagan, Sotomayor, Gorsuch, Kavanaugh, Barrett mm-hmm. in the majority. Majority. And then writing a dissent is Justice Thomas, joined by the Chief Justice and Justice Alito. Mm-hmm. Barrett is taking much more of that literalist approach uh, to statutory interpretation that we discussed. Uh, that you know, the statute literally says you know the, the, he literally has authorized access. Therefore, you know he didn't exceed that authorized access. Yeah, is there is there probably a method that he you know we could charge him under? Is there is this you know unsavory activity? Yeah, there's probably something else, but it's not this. It's not this statute. Mm-hmm. Justice Thomas. Is is saying, hey, we read statutes as they, you know, as they would have been interpreted by an ordinary person at the time they were written. When this was written, this this is completely within the definition of exceeds authorized access, and that's how it would have been interpreted back in 1985. In this case, uh, oh, what's the officer's name? Van Buren. Duh. Yeah. In this case, Van Buren authorized that act, exceeded that authorized access. He's guilty of uh, violating the CFAA. So Thomas makes a couple of, they both have their hypotheticals, right? Mm-hmm. So Van Buren and even during oral argument and the beginning of this holding, they trot out the parade of horribles is what the Supreme Court yes. calls all of the worst case situations that this um reading a law a certain way would lead to and so part of that parade of horribles is uh you know anytime someone violates the licensing agreement or the the terms of service Mm -hmm. for a website um it's technically based on how you're reading the statute illegal because you're exceeding the authorization by going against the terms of service of that website and therefore you could be charged with a federal crime which seems absurd. So for example, your work issues you a laptop, Bill, you do have a work laptop, and they say only use this for work because that's what every work says. Yeah. And then on your lunch break, you go on there and you're checking sports scores or you're looking on Facebook. Mm -hmm. Well, technically, you exceeded authorization because you were not authorized to do that on that computer, and now you could be charged with a federal crime. Yep. Seems crazy. Mm -hmm. Um, And then on the other hand, Thomas makes some good points of, look, we use this all the time. You go to a nice restaurant, you give your car to the valet, you authorize him to drive it over to a parking space. He is authorized to do that. He then takes it on a, you know, a wild, crazy adventure throughout town. He's not authorized to do that. We don't need to specify that to him. He knows what he was authorized to do and what he wasn't. He exceeded authorization when he took your car around town. Mm-hmm. I mean, both sides, they make some pretty compelling hypotheticals. Yeah, yeah. Thomas is Thomas is less concerned about the parade of horribles because he's like, people know where it's authorized and where it's not. Mm-hmm. They, the line is not super foggy. But I was struck pretty hard by the hey, I have a work laptop, and on occasion I've looked at a sports score, mm-hmm. or I've you know, um, actually I'm pr- I'm pretty well behaved on my work laptop because I'm terrified. But um, he says this now while he's on. Yes, air. while I'm being recorded. No, um, no, but generally I am. Um, I'm very. I know a lot of people that use their work laptop for for many more personal things. Mm-hmm. But I'm just no. I kind of like to keep those things separate. But I was like, you know, I. You're right. If I did anything right that exceeds the act, the authorized access. Right. Well, during the oral argument, um, Van Buren's petitioner also brought up Westlaw a lot. And Mm -hmm. so that, to me, was personally like, oh, my God, that's me. I'm that person. Uh, Because, you know, our school and educational institutions give you access to Westlaw uh, so you can use it in furtherance of your education. But how many times do we go on Westlaw just to find fun cases or even, you know, find cases for this? Well, I didn't (laughs) use Westlaw to find these cases. Wink. No, uh, no, I didn't. I, you know, luckily these are Supreme Court cases, so they're readily. Yeah, but whenever we investigate the lower court holdings, we have to find them somewhere else. That's why I leave that to you. So you're the only one exceeding exceeding your authorized access. And I'm being recorded like a dummy right now. That's right. I don't violate the CFAA. You do. Well, this is why I don't want it to be a federal crime. (laughs) Right. (laughs) For something like that. 
Um, right. That's why. That's why it, it makes you know we're kind of a little more emotionally invested in the in the liter- more literal interpretation of the statue. You have access. Yeah. And again, yeah. like Thomas's argument that look, it's just people know when they've exceeded. Yes, but that also goes against, and this was one of the big arguments in Barrett's writing, is it's just too vague. You can't have a statute that is Mm -hmm. that vague because, yeah, I mean, it doesn't seem that bad that I'm using Westlaw to look up a case that's outside of the scope of my class for that semester. Mm -hmm. But technically, if you can read the statute to do it that way, then I have committed a federal crime. Mm -hmm. And that's an issue. It can't be that oh, I hope they don't come after me for this because I'm not really sure if it does apply. It has to be clear in the law so I know and I have notice mm-hmm. when I'm doing something that is illegal and that I could be charged for it. When it's this like weird gray area of, yeah, it's kind of illegal, but the federal government's not going to care about it, that's a problem. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, that's not exactly what Thomas is saying. Thomas is just saying it's not a big issue. Right? Yeah, but it is. And I think it, I think it kind of is. Just right. because the fact that you can read it that way, and if the government mm-hmm. here is saying, yeah, we want to read it that way, that means that you're expanding this law to encompass so much more than the government even wants to deal with, but they could, mm-hmm. and that's a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, you can't have, uh, especially when it comes to First Amendment and issues like that, you can't have statutes that have that much leeway in how vaguely they're written that's why they need to be written in a certain way because if it's vague and some people could might not understand it that right there it makes it not a good statute and you have to you have to get rid of it yeah Um, i so we know where you stand that's exactly where i stand too i liked thomas's opinion mm -hmm. it was it was a pretty well well written compelling dissent yeah but at the end of the day i'm you know i was convinced to stick with barrett and this also remind me a little bit of our statutory interpretation class. Uh, I was surprised they didn't go more into the rule of lenity. Mm-hmm. So Barrett does t- touch on it a little bit yeah. in furtherance of that argument that, you know, this is just too broad and it creates more federal crimes than is necessary. But also you should be reading a statute that is vague in the favor of the defendant because in if the it most is so vague, way. right yeah if it's so vague that we are at the supreme court are not really entirely sure how it should be read you can't subject someone to criminal sanctions if even we don't understand it entirely yep so that's the rule of lenity and that's always a compelling argument to me i guess that's because i'm a bleeding heart yes um but i was surprised they didn't talk more about that like mm-hmm. i um i mean here he definitely knew he was doing something wrong Yes. He knew that whatever whatever statute it was going to fall under, he was definitely doing something illegal. Yes, but does it fit under this statute? Right, this is just a weird one to put it under. Yeah. You could charge him with something, for sure. Like, he got fired, and he obviously, he had plenty of bad things happen to him. It just doesn't seem like this is the correct statute. This isn't computer fraud. Yeah, it's not not what you think of when you think computer fraud. Right. If Albo had hacked into Van Buren's computer Mm -hmm. to access license plates, that's when all of a sudden, okay, this makes sense. This Mm -hmm. is what it's for. When Van Buren goes onto his own computer to do something that he does basically every day, but then uses it for nefarious reasons, it gets a little bit more gray. Right. Yep. So... Um, I, the only concern I have is, you know, I think the three newer justices mm-hmm. tend to interpret statutes in a much more literalist way. Yeah. I was looking back at one of Gorsuch's writings and I was thinking that after the fact that, yep. yep. Like his, um, what was the, is it Bostock? Yeah. Right. Bostock is a very literalist view on title nine. Seven. Title seven. I should know the titles better, but it's it he he reads it very literally and where traditionally, if you look at um, Scalia, Thomas, Alito, they read statutes very much as how would an ordinary person read this when it was written. So it's very, I mean, I'm not saying that Kavanaugh, Gorsuch, Barrett don't do that, mm-hmm. but they're much more com- they they're comfortable going with the hey, what 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 does this literally mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's interesting, and that's why you get. Um, a result where all the three new justices are on the same side as what people consider as the court's liberals. I was a little bit 
shocked by that though i thought there'd be at least a concurrence because again the the reading the actual literal interpretation of these statutes i think both sides had a very compelling argument for i think thomas was also very compelling mm. so i was surprised that there wasn't a concurrence somewhere in between that because where i land on this is i could see it both ways yeah i could totally see it being interpreted both ways mm-hmm. my issue is the you know the lenity thing and the scope like if if all of a sudden every time you exceed authorization on a computer program you're breaking a federal law that seems completely outside of what congress had in mind when it wrote this mm-hmm. so that just doesn't make sense to me uh, and then the lenity thing if it is vague and you know congress needs to update the statute because it's a little outdated we should rule in favor of the defendant because he clearly didn't have notice that what he was doing violated this law and that would have been my concurrence so i'm surprised that didn't happen at all yeah um there easily could have been a concurrence on this one acknowledging some of the um issues circling back to the so yes right uh so the the common interpretation of like how would a how would a layman or how would a regular citizen read this statute um exceeding access yeah a normal person could read it the way that thomas did but the fact that they do have a definition in the act for exceeding Mm -hmm. access requires the court to look at that definition i think that was an issue that barrett had with the dissent is yeah i understand that's how a normal person could read it but here the statute already told us we have to read it a certain way but even still reading it reading that little segment again Mm -hmm. is not super clear either it's not super clear it it does it's a yeah yes if you take the the ordinary meaning of exceeds authorized access but you're right you have exceeds authorized access equals this right to access a computer with authorization and to use such access to obtain or alter information in the computer or that the accessor is not entitled so to obtain or alter so that so and the reason it was important to the entire proceedings was an interpretation means so is going to apply back to what was previously being described mm-hmm. so having access authorized access to a computer mm-hmm. is equivalent to having authorized access to the things you're looking at yeah. on the computer yeah entitled so in reference to such access and authorization right so the argument here is that if you have access to use a computer it's essentially like you were given a username and a password mm-hmm. that's all it needs if you have access to files or authorized access to files on that computer, it's, it should be the same thing. Like you were allowed to go into those files. Mm-hmm. And that's Barrett's argument is that so it means the same thing for both. That it's a gate, an up and down gate. Either you have authorized access or you don't. And that's it. Mm-hmm. And then Thomas's argument is the first one, do you have access to the computer, is like an up and down gate. Mm-hmm. And then the second one is not so much. It's you have access to those files, but, but you're not supposed only to. for certain reasons. Mm-hmm. It's circumstantial. So it's an open gate until you walk through it for the wrong reason, and then it's supposed to shut closed. Yes. Which makes it, reading the whole statute as, as a whole, a little bit mm, less convincing. Like Barrett's argument is we're going to read it all completely the same because the so calls back and it's essentially being like all of this is equal. It should be done the same. His argument is a little bit more we're going to read the first half as pretty strict up and down. The second half is going to be, yeah, well, this is, depends on the circumstances. Yeah. Which makes it not so conducive. I guess they're using the counter to that is they're using different words, right? Authorized access or entitled to or entitled so. Mm-hmm. Um that's the only counter I can kind of think of. Again, I, you know where I am on this one. I tend to agree with you that you know you should have a consistent reading throughout. Do you agree entirely with the Barrett, or would you fall more on the concurrence thing that I mentioned? I fall a little closer to the concurrence. I, I, I it troubles me, or the only troubling thing I see here is the so rooted in literalism, mm-hmm. which is not. I, I think you can have an ordinary interpretation of this uh, as an ordinary person. And say, oh yes, the the you come to the same conclusion as Barrett, as opposed to the literalist interpretation. I don't know. I think, I think Thomas's interpretation requires more more input from the court because they have to read into yes entitlement and authorization more than anything that's just written into this statute itself. I agree with that too. So I kind of the literalist thing doesn't bother me at all in that sense because 
doing otherwise is putting in court input. Yeah, fair yeah. enough. I don't know. But he's off the hook for the CFAA. Yes. So Van Buren is not going to be charged with that specific crime, even though he can be charged with other crimes and, you know, he's been fired. Um, but it was an interesting lineup. So this one obviously made the news because you have all three of your new justices together, mm-hmm. uh, but opposing Thomas Alito and uh, Roberts. The old conservative guard. Right. Oh. oh my goodness. What happened here? They're joining the libs. Oh no. It's terrible. Yeah. How dare they? But something I mentioned to you uh, before this was that uh, the way the Supreme Court operates is you've got you know a group in the majority and then you've got a group in the minority. Mm-hmm. The senior judge in the majority gets to choose who writes the opinion. Mm-hmm. And Breyer, in this case, was the senior judge in the majority. So right. he's like, Amy, I, I, I want you. You write this. Uh, so I think that was one of the other things news articles pick, picked up on was that Breyer's being very collegiate. And, you know, he's like, let's let the, uh, the, new, the new person write this one. Yeah, she had good questions during the oral argument, too. And she's very technical. She yes. looks at things in a very technical way. Mm-hmm. So th- I think it's well suited for this type of uh, opinion. Although this would have been another perfect one for Gorsuch, too, because it's true. you know, the interpretation. We're going to save him for, like, the, uh, the uh, I think they're going to save him for the church case. The the Pennsylvania um, Fulton? adoption, Fulton, yeah. Oh my god, they're definitely going to save him for that one. Yeah, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. Anywho, all right. So we'll take a quick break, and then we'll come back with our second case-ish opinion order. Order. Good job. I had a thought, and then I just lost it. Oh. Well, I'll take the opportunity to sip my coffee. We don't do ASMR. <laughs> um, all right. Trivia time. Bill. Yes. What month is it? It is June. Yes, it is. And did you know that June is Pride Month? I did know that. Probably because it means everywhere. Uh, so this month commemorates the raid of the Stonewall Inn, which is a gay club in Greenwich Village, New York City. And it took place on June 28th, 1969. And that raid sparked about six days of protests in support of LGBT rights, safety, and equality. So Pride Month is meant to celebrate, uh, you know, LGBTQ plus people, and then also further promote their access to equal rights. But can you tell me what Supreme Court case came out 46 years after the Stonewall Inn raid, almost to the day? 46? 46 years after 1969. June 20. Was it... Uh, Burgerfeld? It was! Mm. Burgerfeld versus Hodges came out June 26th, 2015. So only two days prior to the Stonewall, Stonewall Inn raids. Well, I didn't know that. Interesting, yeah. I didn't know that either. So... Obergefell, for those of you who might not remember, was a 5-4 majority authored by Justice Anthony Kennedy, and the majority held that the 14th Amendment Due Process Clause guarantees the right to marry as a fundamental liberty equal to same-sex and opposite-sex couples. The court explained that this logic is inherent to the concept of individual autonomy for individuals, couples, and families, and since there was no valid difference between same-sex marriages and opposite-sex marriages with relation to those principles of raising a family and being a happy couple, there was no valid reason to create a disparity. Do you remember what a, what kind of case this really was? Uh, no. It was a tax case. Oh, this one? Yeah, this one was a tax case. I think the, a or lot was, of them end up being that I way. Thought, I th- I'm pretty sure this was a tax case. There was another one where the court didn't even hear it, um, I think. And it, it was sort of thing like their spouse had passed away and they wanted to collect. And they were like, you weren't married. And she was like, yeah, I was married. And they were like, nah, same-sex couples don't count. No, that I think that was, the, I thought that was the facts in a Burgerfeld. Maybe. <laughs> I am going to fact check myself right now. All right, well... Can you also guess another case that came out in June? 
51 years after the Stonewall in raid. 51. 51. So after Obergefell. It has to do with LGBTQ rights. Bostock? Yes. Yes, Bostock. We were just talking about this. So Bostock versus Clayton County came out on June 15th of 2020. And it was a 6-3 majority authored by Neil Gorsuch. Justice Neil Gorsuch. Uh, In this case, the court needed to decide whether Title VII of the Civil Rights Act of 1964, which prohibits against employment discrimination, quote, because of sex, end quote, also protects from discrimination based on an individual's sexual orientation. The majority determined that it must apply because it was not possible to separate sex from discrimination based on sexual orientation. So discrimination against LGBTQ employees necessitates a discrimination uh, about how those employees conform to the expectations of sexual identity based on their own gender. And to clarify that a little bit, the court kind of reasoned that an employer who is happy to employ a woman who is married to a man, but who is also going to refuse to employ a man who is married to a man, does discriminate, even if only in part, against that man for being a man because had he been a woman married to a man then he wouldn't have been fired and it would have been fine so therefore no matter how you look at it there's always going to be some discrimination based on sex even if you're only discriminating on their sexual orientation or their trans status or how they compose themselves in the way that you think is typical And then finally, one last little bit of trivia. Bill, can you guess how many openly LBGT state or territory Supreme Court justices have served in the U.S.? More than one. Um, That is correct. Yes, because I know we have um, uh, an open uh, gay uh, justice on the Supreme Court in Connecticut. Yes, we do. Um, Andrew McDonald. Mm Mm-hmm. but outside of that, you want me to take a guess? Yes, that's why I asked you. All right, 30. No, no, lower. 20. No. 10. No, all right. Nine. Not good this time. Eight. 17. Oh. 17. You were close, but not. Not really that close. No. So there were, there either were serving or are currently serving three in Oregon, one in Colorado, one in Hawaii, two in Massachusetts, one in Vermont, one in Connecticut, as Bill mentioned, two in Washington state one in minnesota one in nevada one in new york one in california one in guam and one in puerto rico and i'll have all of this information and some citations listed on our website so you can go read more into that if you want to or you can reflect on those two awesome cases obergefell and bostock and also just check out our website. And I was wrong. Uh, U.S. v. Windsor is the tax case. Okay. A burger fe- U.S. v. Windsor just um, uh, is a defensive marriage act. Yes, yes, case. yes, yes. Yeah. A Burgerfeld actually just does it all. Right. That makes sense because that was back when um, the the f- uh, the federal act defensive marriage was um, between a man and a woman, mm-hmm. and it was a lesbian couple. Yes, it was a lesbian and couple. And her spouse had died, and then she was trying to, you know, get the, the benefits, I guess, of a lost spouse, and she wasn't allowed to because of that. Mm. And that's when the court stepped in and said, hey, you can't really do that. She was married in her state, and so it's fine. Yeah. Yep. And it was, it, was one of the, it was one of the cases that eroded the Defense of Marriage Act yep. up to the point of a Burgerfeld. Yep, which totally just nixed it. Was it. Like, nope. Did you know that Connecticut... Mm-hmm. Uh, by was I think the first or second state to do it by a Supreme Court ruling to uh, eliminate a prohibition on same-sex marriage. Hmm. I think I might have known that. Was it Palmer who wrote the opinion? I don't remember. Okay. Me neither. But I do remember something about that. Mm-hmm. That's all I have to contribute. Same. That's all I have to say about that. Happy Pride Month, everyone. Show your pride. And now we're going to move on to our second topic, the order that came out also this month, beginning of June, Kenneth Lamont Sanders versus the United States. This um, order was decided on June 1st. And so again, 
the order from the Supreme Court was just to grant cert, vacate the underlying um, decision, and then send back to the Court of Appeals to figure it out. It was at the Eighth Circuit. Um, so they basically said, yep, this needs to be redecided based on our recent holding in Coniglia versus Strom. So the Supreme Court is not going to have any hearings on this case at this point. They basically read through the petition for cert. They said, oh yeah, okay, based on our most recent holding in Coniglia, we're going to send this back down to the Eighth Circuit to reassess. And you should be able to figure it out if you can read, if you read the Coniglia opinion. Right, reapply the law based on Coniglia. So they're not going to hear it at the Supreme Court right now. They're just going to send it back down for them to figure it out and re-decide it based on Coniglia. Mm-hmm. So that's all it should have been, or that's all it could have been, is the court just saying that, and that's it. Boom, done. But in this instance, Justice Kavanaugh wrote a concurrence to that decision, to the decision to grant and vacate that case, um, just to clarify a little bit. And I thought this was mm-hmm. interesting, and I wanted to talk about it because we did talk about, you know, Coniglia in our last episode and how some of the concurrences were confusing to me, especially uh, Chief Justice Roberts' concurrence. Mm-hmm. It was a paragraph, and it was very much just saying, look, this case is decided correctly, the case being Coniglia, but I just want to make sure everyone knows that officers still have the right to go into your house if it's a, a safety issue. Yeah, under a reasonableness record, and you have to go through the reasonableness. Right, uh, but he didn't analysis. even elaborate. He was just like, "Look, all of our past precedent still applies, but this is this case is right." That's like all he said. It was yes. super weird and vague, and that's why I said, "Why didn't he just have?" And Thomas- I wonder if I wonder if that's why Kavanaugh had his own separate concurrence in Coniglia because he's like, "Well, I, I agree with the chief, but I want to say more because yeah, he wanted to elaborate more." Yeah. Uh, but then he elaborates more here. Kavanaugh, you know, is like, hey, by the way, let me just continue to uh, talk about why. Yeah, I'm going to say what I already said again. But it finally made sense to me why Roberts did that, apparently. Although, again, I still don't understand. Like, just throw that one paragraph in, Thomas. Come on. Be yeah. a team player. But um, because Kavanaugh actually cites to Ju- Justice Roberts' concurrence, being like, look, even the chief said that, you know. All right, so let's get into it a little bit. So the Kenneth Lamont Sanders versus United States case, uh, there was a domestic dispute in a home. Uh, there was a young child. She's 11, or he or she, it, oh, her, is 11 years old. And they refer to her as NR because she's under 18. And so they're not going to say what her name is. But she calls her grandmother because her parents are fighting so bad that she's a little bit scared. So she calls her grandmother and tells her grandmother, hey, they're fighting really bad and um, I need someone to come get me. So the grandmother calls 911 to let the officers know this information. Officers get dispatched out to the house. Uh, They knock on the door and they talk to the mother and they can tell that she's got some markings and, you know, red marks and stuff like that. And they're like, "Eh, can we talk to, you know, your, your boyfriend? And she's like, yeah, okay, whatever. And the officers hear a baby crying inside or a child yeah. crying so they they go inside they also see the girl who called her grandmother like gesturing through the window oh, yeah, through upstairs the window. They're like, oh, yeah, yeah. yep yeah, so yeah, they yeah. they let themselves in and they go upstairs to see the little girl who was waving at the window um and she says that you know she that there's a gun in the house and that she had heard the mother yelling put the gun down put the gun down so this is coming from the 11 year old so the officers you know go ask the mother hey is there a gun where's the gun she says it's in the couch they go to the couch they find the gun and they take it so this is a not at all similar to the caniglia case really that was completely different but the same idea where there's like some kind of domestic disturbance the officers kind of come in just doing a safety check to make sure everyone's okay and then in that process find a weapon and then they take it mm-hmm. so is that okay? Are they allowed to do that for a, what is this called? A community caretaking exception. Why do you always have the words that I don't have? Yes, community caretaking action. So the uh, Eighth Circuit said. Sure. Yeah, they said it's fine. They said mm-hmm. community caretaking, that's the exception. You're allowed to do that. There's a thing called the community caretaking se- exception. Yeah, and which we just recently found out in Coniglia that no, that doesn't exist. Technically, no. No. So that's why this case is getting vacated and remanded is because the Supreme Court's um, 
holding and Caniglia says no there's no such thing as a community caretaking exception to the fourth amendment right for you to you know especially to grab weapons in the house mm-hmm. but and this is where Kavanaugh is basically saying hey the result the end result totally might be okay yep that's not what we're saying here specifically says like he wrote this just to be like look i understand that we're essentially saying you were wrong eighth circuit you need to re-decide it but hey wink 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 you're probably right you just need to rephrase it yes that's exactly (laughs) what he's saying yes he's saying he's like this is this could be like as the chief described Mm -hmm. in his concurrence in coniglia you you there are still reasonable searches that the fourth amendment does not prohibit right and this very well could have been one of them wink 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 that's what you should write yeah and then they'll cite his concurrence in 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 their opinion and then he'll be like okay great yeah like we have full understanding based on all the concurrences in coniglia which were again very and i'm assuming they already had this case in front of them right so they saw this they're like oh crap technically coniglia is going to overturn that but We'll just write a bunch of concurrences in Coniglia to make sure it's real clear that even though there's no such thing as a community caretaking exception to the Fourth Amendment search and seizure, people are still allowed to take that type of action, the community caretaking action. They can. Right. So, I mean, even in the concurrence here, not the concurrence, I'm sorry, the, um, oh yeah, I guess it is a concurrence concurrence. to the order. Uh, Kavanaugh states, Coniglia did not disturb this court's longstanding precedents that allow warrantless entries into a home in certain circumstances. And then that's where he says, go see Robert's concurrence, which is a Kavanaugh thing to do. And I guess he is the chief justice, but again, of all the concurrences, cite to his, his is the one that says nothing. But I guess you can't cite to your own concurrence. Yeah, he could have cited to his own concurrence and been like, but if you need more details, see my concurrence. It's basically what he's saying. It's basically what he's saying, yes. Yeah. yeah. But it just clarified for me exactly why. Because, again, they had this in front of them. They knew this was coming down the line, mm-hmm. and that's why they're like, all right, yeah, Thomas, you write your thing, but we're just going to we're gonna also write a bunch of stuff about how. Thomas is probably like, I don't see why that's just not obvious. And, yeah, exactly. And yeah, and then they're like, "Well, let's let's help out the lower courts a little bit." Yes, I think that's what they were doing. Thomas is like, "Everyone understands," and the rest of the court is like, "No one understands." That's why we are we have a job. Yes, <laughs> yes. literally our their job brains aren't as big explain. as yours, Clarence. <laughs> uh, so I just thought that was interesting. This is another you know sad but interesting uh, case of Fourth Amendment mm-hmm. um, issues where is. Sort of close to Caniglia, but completely different. Um, yeah, I think, and it, it's important. I think um, Kavanaugh is one of these justices. I think that very much is like Roberts is concerned with the image of the court, mm-hmm. and to I'm sure some people who are reading this opinion or reading who read Caniglia are like, oh, well, they don't care about community caretaking because that's apparently not an exception to the Fourth Amendment anymore, right? Mm-hmm. It's it's much more of a technical thing, right? They're saying, and, and Kavanaugh is very I think Kavanaugh's mission here is to say is like like we've been saying before, but is you can still do all that. Right. You can still you just have to justify it. The way you justify it has to be reasonableness. And see that does make it a confusing line because it's like they're drawing this line. No, there's no such thing as community caretaking, but then they're backtracking and saying, Well, don't don't think of it as line. Think of it as like a you know. It's not it's not a blanket exception. Right. It's a you can community you can caretake for your community. Yes. You just have to justify it under like like any other warrantless search under a reasonableness. And it's still I guess it's so I get what I'm curious to see. Blah, 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 is yeah, the officers were justified in going in the house. Does that mean that the officers though were not justified in taking the gun? Mm, see, they, 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 that's what they need to decide now that's what they need to but decide that's going to be the question because in the Caniglia case it seemed you know they were justified in going in and making sure the husband was fine but they weren't justified in taking the gun well that one was especially silly because didn't they come back to take the gun like after the fact or something yes. or he had been he, he was sent away to the hospital like they yeah. had plenty of time there was, they no, there was the no present danger when they to took those guns it was so easy right in this case, it was a little bit more. They're still in the heat of the moment. There's yeah, a lot of stuff happening. like forty minutes ago, they had said, "Put down the gun, put down the gun." Yeah. It was hidden in the couch. Maybe we just take it right now, rather than like, "Okay, kids, yeah. play nice. We're gonna go see a judge, and hopefully, we can come back." Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Um, it's a closer call. But it seems to me that kind of the rule is you're allowed to go into the house, make sure everything's fine. You know, break up any disputes that might be happening. You can't take anything with you unless it's like 
currently ongoing. Like if the husband was waving a gun or the boyfriend was waving around a gun, then you could take it. That's, you know, totally yeah. reasonable. This is a kind of a gray area. This Where it's a... tucked away in the couch, you can't... Well, I mean, like, there, you could spend that too, right? He tucked away it in the couch because he knew the cops were there or he, you know... Yeah. yeah, but that's when you still got to go get a warrant. Yeah. If it's not on his person, you really can't take it. I know. I mean, unless it's seriously out in the open. Unless, like, the NR came out and said, yeah, boyfriend said he was going to shoot me when you guys left. Like, then they could probably... Uh, maybe. Then there might be justification to take it. Yeah. I don't think that happened here, but... It's like an actual search. Like, they had to go yeah. into the couch to get it, you know? Yeah. At least even in the Caniglia case, it was on the table. I guess uh, the mother... Pointed them to exactly where it was. Yep. I don't know if that changes anything. Mm, I mean, that's her giving her consent, but... It's not her gun. It's not her gun. I don't know. I kind of blocked out a lot of criminal procedure. Well, get ready, because that's... Um... That's coming up next in Themis. Yep. That's what I'm starting this week. Oh, fun. Mm-hmm. So, those are the two topics we had to talk about. I thought this was an interesting order, and it brought back to Caniglia and kind of explained some of my confusion that I had in my head about all the crazy concurrences. And I like the Fourth Amendment, so I always enjoy reading those cases. Yeah. But otherwise, I'm really hoping, Bill, that some more exciting holdings come out of the court because we have a list, and it's on our website, of cases that we are expecting decisions on and where they might land. Mm-hmm. And I want to know if we're right or not. And all of the interesting ones are coming out, are supposed to come out next week. Well. We, we hope. I'll cross my fingers and toes. Me too. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all I have for today. Make sure that if you have any questions, comments, concerns, or suggestions, that you email us at modoscotus at gmail.com. Find us on Instagram. Find us on Twitter. And go check out our website, which the probably the easiest way to do it is just to go on Anchor and then find our the link to our website. Okay. Because otherwise it's a Wix site and we don't own the domain yet because we're poor. But maybe someday we'll own modoscotus.com. Maybe. Maybe. Taking donations. (laughs) Either way, check us out there and tune in next time where hopefully we have more exciting cases to talk about. Otherwise, we'll just literally read you the themis outlines from our bar prep. Oh, that'd be fun too. No, that would be like a nighttime put you to sleep podcast. Oh, yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And probably violate some intellectual property yeah, I was gonna issues. Say, actually, that'd so be we illegal. won't do that, Themis. It'd be unauthorized use. It would be unauthorized. Yes, that would exceed it'd exceed. The yes, but I'd, I wouldn't be. It wouldn't be computer. It wouldn't be computer fraud because not anymore. Not anymore. Thanks, Justice Barrett. Thanks, Justice Barrett. Anyway. Okay, that's all I have. I'm not gonna say bye. Bye.